Welcome in, everybody. Please do not panic. Do not be disoriented by the new theme music. This is still Keith Billick, and this is still the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. If you are disoriented, it must mean that you missed the bonus episode where I introduced you to some new theme music, one of which is what you are hearing right now, which is a Clawhammer version of my theme music played by my friend Derek Smith. And then also I introduced some other new theme music for the more bluegrassy versions of the episodes, which those are tend to be in the majority. If you listen regularly, you know that. I've wanted to up my theme music game for quite a while, and I just passed the three-year anniversary of doing this podcast. So congratulations to me. Thank you to all of you for listening and making all of this possible. And that leads into another announcement about the theme music that's available for purchase at banjopodcast.com. At least the two bluegrass tracks are. And since I know a lot of you are banjo players yourself, perhaps even all of you, there is an option to purchase that with the banjo tablature with uh, the full melodies and banjo solos all tabbed out. So I want to hear everybody playing the theme music by the time uh, festival season rolls around. So once again, that's banjopodcast.com where you find all that. While you're at the shop there, you might also notice that I have updated some of the colors for the Picky Fingers t-shirts. So if you've been meaning to, to snag one of those, now you can look at some fresh new types of merchandise there. So yeah, check it out. Done a lot of uh, updating recently. Now, I mentioned a second ago that I couldn't have made it for three years doing this podcast without you listeners. And that's certainly true. And I'm thankful for everyone who listens. But there is one elite class of listeners who deserve extra special credit for the success of the podcast. And they are known, of course, as my Patreon subscribers. So today we have two special Patreon supporters to recognize as the sponsors of this episode. The first is Brian Bauer, and he is in a band called River Despair, and he became a board-certified musical therapist. You know, there's a, a parallel universe out there where I might be a musical therapist. That was something I looked into in college, and there's a part of me that regrets not looking at it a little more seriously. But it's good to know that the banjo is well represented in the music therapy world. So Brian Bauer, not only thank you for signing up on Patreon to support the show, but it is nice to see your name again. We we communicated a little bit and figured out that we actually met each other probably about 10 years ago when we were both working at Midwest Banjo Camp. Me as the sound guy and Brian did some video work there. So Brian, great to touch base with you again and thanks for signing up on Patreon. The other supporter of the show is Don Stevens. I don't know too much about Don other than he obviously has superior, exquisite taste in both music and podcasts because he went to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to sign up as a supporter of the show. So Don Stevens, wherever you are, I really appreciate your support. And also to Brian Bauer, you as well. And to everybody else, sign up at patreon.com slash banjo podcast to be a supporter of the show and we'll get this thing going for another three years. Today's freshly picked episode profiles the recently released album called Back to the Earth by Adam Hurt and 
This episode is already an episode of firsts. You heard the new Clawhammer banjo music, and that's because this is the first Clawhammer musician to be featured on the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. And it, it's really fitting that I'm able to profile music by one of my favorite Clawhammer players, Adam Hurt. He's he's just an excellent musician. And since we're going down the Clawhammer trail, not only are we going to Clawhammer banjo, we're going all the way to Gord banjo. And that's that's what this album is all about. It highlights Adam's gourd playing and just the the tone and musical areas that that type of banjo can explore that's maybe a little different from what we're used to hearing. And he, of course, is a master at the instrument and is the, the perfect person to deliver that type of performance. So here it is, the music of Back to the Earth, featuring an interview with banjoist Adam Hurt. Adam, thanks for carving out the time for me. It's great to see you. I had to miss you at Midwest Banjo Camp, unfortunately, but we'll do this here and and hopefully see you. You're booked there for next year, right? Yes. Fingers crossed. I really hope we all can be there together. (laughs) Everything crossed. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Well, congrats on this new album. It's uh, quite an achievement along with the COVID theme. Putting together (laughs) any kind of big project is an achievement, and this is a really good one. So Congrats on the new on the new release. Thank you very much. It's been an interesting experience to work on something like this during a pandemic, but uh, I couldn't be happier with the outcome. And it's been a pretty darn smooth process, all things considered. Good, good. So to introduce people to it, it's actually a a follow up album. And anyone who looks at the album cover will see right away that the the theme of the music is is based around your gourd banjo instrument. And this is actually the second such album that you've released. Is that is that true? Absolutely right. Yes. Cool. So was there something that called you back to making another album? Or is that just something that you love and it had been a while? Or uh, take us through what, what called you back to that theme? Well, a lot of it was just my effort to give my audiences more of what they kept saying they wanted. All things in Roots music are relative, but my 10-year-old gourd banjo album, solo music, very austere on this one very distinctive sounding instrument, (laughs) has been my biggest seller by a long shot. Wow. I've reprinted it a bunch of times in physical form, and I hope to be able to continue uh, making it available in that way. And the digital sales continue to do quite well. And I hear time and again from people who aren't banjo players or enthusiasts of banjo music themselves, how much they're moved by the sound of that instrument and how they love to gift that album to friends and loved ones who don't like the stereotypical banjo sound. (laughs) So, so you just got into gourd banjo for the money, is what you're trying to tell us. <laughs> yeah, right. The you're tens of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. But after hearing as much of that kind of feedback as I have over the past decade, I thought, you know, maybe 
there would be an audience for another round of recorded music on this special instrument, which I still love to play and which I'm still learning from. It's a very different experience from a standard five-string banjo in ways I'm sure we'll get into later. But I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. I didn't want this to be another album of solo gourd banjo music that kind of sounds like the old one, because (laughs) that's not going to inspire me, especially. I mean, I'm doing this for my audience, yes, but I also want it to be uh, a pleasurable and challenging experience for myself. So it was an interesting process coming up with a mixture of music and an approach to the music that I thought would remind people of the old album and satisfy Mm. those who wanted to hear more like that, but make me feel like I'm still growing as a musician and specifically as a gourd banjo player. That's cool. Speaking of that, how did you go about choosing pieces? And are, are there certain pieces that for whatever reason signal to you that, oh, this would be particularly good for me to play on this instrument versus one of my open standard open backs sure well the fretless nature of the gourd banjo that i play anyway some of them are fretted but this one isn't uh dictates a lot about what is and isn't feasible to play Mm -hmm. the fact too that it has fairly considerable sustain that can't really be modified the way you know, conventional banjo's head could be tightened or the back could be stuffed with fabric or what have you, also dictates what is and isn't viable. I find that my sort of usual melodic style of claw hammer playing doesn't Mm -hmm. always translate super well to this instrument where things might land a little bit out of tune if I'm not careful Uh or... The sustain, the echo, the overtones, however you want to think of that quality, creates an unpleasant blurriness in the music where I want things to really articulate well. So the instrument forces me to think more about space in a way than about the notes. So I have to find tunes that I can either strip down or slow down to create more space, either way you slice it, but that aren't going to lose their life and their essence as I do so. Obviously, certain tunes sound better at peppier tempos than others, and they're not going to sound right if they're slowed way down. Other tunes require a very detailed approach, and if I start leaving out notes to create space for the instrument to ring the melodies are going to sound incomplete. But I found this whole category of tunes that I could work with from these perspectives, and that's really what I was working with 10 years ago as well. I don't know that I could have put my finger on these qualities at that time. (laughs) Maybe a lot of trial and error involved? A lot of trial and error, definitely. Okay. Definitely. So it was a fun and interesting challenge to come up with another album's worth of material given those restrictions that I associate Mm -hmm. with the instrument. You can call them limitations if you want. Um, And then there was a matter of pairing this instrument with other musicians. That's, to me, the biggest departure from 
the Earth Tones album of 10 years ago, half of the new project is collaborative and yeah. the rest is solo. And this instrument just doesn't function in an ensemble the way a standard five-string banjo does. For one thing, it's tuned way low, so the keys are not what other traditional musicians might be accustomed to. They're not super weird keys, but they're different keys. Yeah. And it's not the loudest instrument in the world, and it does have this murky quality that's very easy for other sounds to cover up. Mm -hmm. So I had to choose my ensembles carefully, and I had to arrange the tunes as I was playing them and the accompaniment as my collaborators were handling it in ways that I thought would really gel. And, um, yeah, I mean, I wish I could articulate it better, but it was a very different and more challenging process than arranging ensemble music that orients around an ordinary banjo. Yeah, that does make sense. Let's let's start talking about the actual pieces there. So it kicks off with that tune called Bowback. This, to my ear, sounds the most like something that would be played on a traditional African instrument or an African piece of of music is was there any rhyme or reason to starting off with something like that it's sort of like a bluesy trancey yeah uh vibe to it thank you you hit the nail on the head totally of the 12 tunes on the new project that bowback tune is the one that i thought most directly referenced the collection of music on the earth tones album from 10 years ago a very primal feeling uh very haunting um, not a very fancy melody, more about the rhythm than the notes, more about the syncopation mm -hmm. in particular, kind of than anything else. And in the tuning that this instrument seems to be most at home in. So that's exactly the tone that I wanted the new project to start with, reminding listeners of where we're coming from before I take them in a different direction. And since you brought it up, I will say the the liner notes are very cool in that they give the the banjo tuning for each of these. And I, I looked at them real quick. It seems like it mostly operates out of like an open E, uh, ver, you know, ver, down from an open G standard banjo tuning with with a lot of your typical like open back variations of that. Exactly. Is that, is that roughly it? Yeah, that's the the range in which the instrument is tuned. So yeah, the open G equivalent would be down in E. And then I use what old-time players typically refer to as double C tuning uh, down in A. I use um, a Cumberland Gap style tuning that on a conventional banjo would be either F or G, and on this one is down in D. And I use uh -huh. a G modal tuning that's down in E, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but for any any nerds out there who want to <laughs> try to recreate it it's it's all on those liner notes which i imagine is real helpful to people trying to hear what what those open strings are are doing here definitely i um, know i sure appreciated it especially when i was getting started learning to play the banjo when other players were including the tunings in the notes yeah, saved yeah. me a whole lot of sleuthing <laughs> Well, it's it's no secret I have I have more of a bluegrass background. So track two, waiting for the boatsman, really kind of caught my ear. I think other than the the fact that you have this slightly thuddier sounding gourd banjo, it almost sounded like something uh, 
an Earl Scruggs solo would have fit on top of, including an up-the-neck break, which uh, complements to your intonation on that. That's got to be a real challenge to do some of those further up-the-neck melodies. It took a little bit of practice to nail the intonation on that the way that I wanted, but I was also using some maneuvers in both hands, not just left hand slides, that sort of eased me into the notes that I was searching for rather than (laughs) my having to go straight to them and risk over or under shooting them. But I was happy with how that turned out. And yes, I wanted that tune to be as much a polar opposite of Bobak as possible. Aesthetically, I think it's as different from that solo primal sound as we've got on the album. Totally. And then uh, the next track is called Biddy, and it's with most of the Hawktail band yes. that people might know. And I think this is a really good example of what you alluded to in terms of finding the group that it works with because on one and it's it's a little bit of a paradox because on one hand we have this real clear gourd banjo sound that you've captured and it's very like natural habitat i guess but it's it's very unnatural to be able to play a gourd banjo alongside a bowed bass and a fiddle and a guitar and have it capable of like leading the song right so uh I guess there's not really a question there, but I'm just observing that it's it's real nice to to hear a gourd banjo leading this ensemble because it's it's not anything that you would be able to hear like that in more of a natural setting, I don't think. Right. Thank um, you. I was really excited to share the collaborations with Brittany Haas, Jordan Tice, and Paul Cowart on this project, and I'm super honored that they took me up on my Uh, invitation to participate in the project because I knew that the three of them approached their instruments in such distinctive and controlled ways that if any quartet could lift the gourd banjo up, a quartet containing (laughs) those people could do it. Maybe this is too much of a digression. If so, please edit it out. (laughs) No problem. But Uh, The idea for collaborating with the Hawktail folks on this project sprang from a gig that the three of them had in Nashville on a monthly basis back in about 2017, one Hmm. of which they invited me to guest in. And their concept... Was Was that the setup of the gigs they would invite guest people and yeah, then rotate exactly. through? It was okay. a monthly residency they had at the Station Inn. And oh, cool. I'm pretty sure every month they had a different special guest. Maybe sometimes they didn't have a guest at all, but that was how it was framed uh, to me. And their concept for that gig was that we play material from my Earth Tones album. 
and Ooh. that they just support me any way that they could. I had never thought such material would really work in an ensemble, but I knew they could make it work if anybody could. I was super honored to be invited to their gig. And the sound that came together in the rehearsal and at the show was just unbelievable to me. And I knew oh, I've got to capture more of that. If I ever do more recording with this gourd banjo, they're going to be my first calls. <laughs> yeah, how great. That's cool. Thanks. And to pull it off at the station in, I mean, it's it's a <laughs> it's a listening room, but it's it's still a bar. So that's that's got to be a challenge. Yeah, it was a different that's sort cool. of space for this kind of music, but the crowd <laughs> hushed up and the bar itself wasn't too out of control. And I think people enjoyed hearing something a little bit different from the usual that night. Hey, sorry to interrupt everybody, but I just couldn't resist an opportunity to tell you about the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted instruments, and that, of course, is Elderly Instruments, which is a family-owned business located in Lansing, Michigan. But if you're not in Lansing, that's okay. They ship worldwide, too, and they just have a vast selection of acoustic guitars, electric guitars, ukuleles, mandolins, all the accessories and books that you'd want for either of those, and of course, plenty and plenty of banjos. And something that people don't often think about when you're buying stuff like that, particularly entry-level instruments, is the fact that they have a world-renowned repair shop as well. When all those instruments come into the store, if they do not pass a thorough setup and inspection by the repair shop, they get sent back. And that sometimes angers the suppliers of elderly instruments, but it lets you know that elderly stands by their products and they also have a helpful and knowledgeable sales staff to help you find what you need. And you can be confident that you're going to get something that is set up to elderly's high quality standards. So if that sounds great, and I know it does, check them out at elderly.com or call 517-372-7880 to speak to one of their helpful salespeople. It's where I go and it's where you should go to. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is also proud to be sponsored by Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation's streaming video courses, perfect for quarantine, by the way, but they have courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele. You can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. For example, listen to some of the courses. These are just the banjo courses that they offer. Uh, a couple different classes with Bill Evans, such as beginning banjo and bluegrass banjo. You can learn claw hammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, and also contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wesley Corbett. And each of those courses includes high quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. So it's everything you need to up your skills, especially in these isolated times. And listen up, because this is the best part. If you join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now, you're going to get your first month free by going to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. That's Picky Fingers, all one word, all lowercase, at pegheadnation.com. Check it out. Uh, the next track, Backstep Sandy, to, to my ear, again, an untrained claw hammer ear, this seems like probably the most 
I don't want to say show-offy because it's it's very musical, but maybe requires the most skilled uh, execution Thanks. of them. Is 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 there any? I don't know. Is that is that accurate? I just hear a lot of pull-offs and slides and hammer-ons and, yeah. and a lot of ornamentation to it, it seems like. Well, it's a fairly technical rendition, I would say, of a fairly simple melody. And I thought to make it interesting and to keep it interesting, I needed to play around with it. I needed to play around with the melody. I needed to play around with the rhythm. I needed to play around with my arsenal of maneuvers on the banjo. Mm -hmm kind of any way I could put all of that together in order to justify recording a tune like this. I've heard this tune and many others like it recorded in a more one-dimensional way by various great players. And I'm always left thinking, you know, I wish they had taken that in a different direction or a more yeah. interesting and varied direction. So, yeah, with each new pass through the form of the tune, I'm kind of picking a new idea that I'm trying to orient around or a new collection of ideas. And I stick with that until the next pass through the form and then I yeah. shift gears again. But it was fun to put that together. And uh, I would love for Clawhammer banjo players listening in to see how many different kinds of maneuvers like you articulated they can identify in that track alone because oh, yeah. there's a lot of banjo stuff the going on. <laughs> there sure is. So is that more similar to like a festival arrangement type of a approach that you took with that? I'm not even sure I would say that. I think that if I were playing that tune that way with a fiddler or in a jam session, it would almost be too much for the other instruments. I, I meant to say contest arrangement uh, rather than fest. So contest arrangement. Yes, I think that's really fair to say. I've been out of the banjo contest scene for a number of years, kind of in retirement. Maybe I'll come out <laughs> of retirement. We'll see what happens one day. But yes, yeah. back when I used to arrange solo material with contest performances in mind, that was the sort of thing I was trying to do. I was trying to present the tune and not deviate from it in ways that might have sounded too jazz-oriented or too much like bluegrass solos, you know, taking mm -hmm. substantial liberties with the melody. But I'm still trying to never play one section of the tune the same way twice. Yeah, keep it interesting. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I, I really dig the next uh, medley, especially the second tune of the medley, the Morning Star. It just feels like one of those perpetual motion tunes where it just feeds back into itself. I don't know if you ever get that yes, sort of... Yes, very circular uh, feeling. Definitely. Where did mm -hmm. that tune come from exactly? In some ways, that might be about the most unusual selection on the album because of where it hmm. comes from. It's an Irish fiddle tune. I don't really play Irish music. I haven't studied it. I've arranged certain pieces from that repertoire for Clawhammer Banjo in my own way. Again, not really having studied the tradition, but just being drawn to the aesthetic of those melodies. I listen to more Irish trad music these days for pleasure, and I have been for a number of years, than I listen to old-time music for pleasure or bluegrass mm -hmm. music for pleasure. I just find it so compelling 
And I tell friends, if I had another lifetime or two to live, <laughs> I'd learn to properly play Irish music on the yeah. fiddle or on the pipes or something. But as it stands, I'm happy to just listen and learn whatever I can from it. I like creating medleys of tunes I have for a long time, in part because that's what they tend to do in the Irish trad world. They create sets of tunes that aren't just randomly assembled. The tunes work well together. They speak right. to one another. So it's a fun challenge for me to try and find tunes from my own repertoire that do this. And even though the first tune in the medley, Horses and the Canebrake, is a southern tune, it's from eastern Kentucky, I thought that it was not such a strange bedfellow for this Irish trad tune. Uh, the chord progression for the second tune took some working out to really sound good against the prior tune's chord progression. But on mm -hmm. the banjo, they were a dream to play side by side. Yeah, definitely works great. Thank you. The the one after that called Pony Boy um, is might be the most unusual one. It's a everyone's favorite uh, piano and gourd banjo duet. <laughs> I, I assume because it's by Mark Simos, it must be a song with lyrics, right? And I imagine you must be playing the, a vocal melody. I've never heard the song. Yeah, yes and no. Mark recorded this as a fiddle harmonica duet on his mid-90s album, Race the River Jordan, which every huh. fan of traditional music should have, even though, with one exception, that album is all original material of Mark's. Mm -hmm. And yet, he's studied the old-time tradition so carefully that many of those melodies, I think, could pass for old tunes. And when I approached him asking for permission to arrange and record this tune of his on the project, he told me a whole lot more about it, including that it did in fact have lyrics, even though he didn't record the sung version back then on Race the River Jordan. And I don't think he has recorded the sung version anywhere else. He wrote oh, lyrics to it, but uh, they've kind of been buried away for reasons that I didn't fully understand. And yet, it sure stood well on its own on his fiddle and Mark Graham's harmonica uh, back on Race the River Jordan. Yeah, I'll have to track that down. It's, I mean, it's such a, a singable type of melody. I just took for granted that that must be what it 
what it was. Yeah, so. for sure. And even before I heard that from him, I thought the same thing. This has the feeling of a song more than a yeah. tune. Uh, so uh-huh. it was interesting to hear a little bit more of the backstory from him. And yet, uh, I came to know and love it as an instrumental. And for me, that's always what it'll be first. He didn't let you see the lyrics or, or you, you don't even know what the lyrics are? He did share the lyric sheet with me, yes. <laughs> okay. And there are a couple of videos on YouTube from other people that include the lyrics. So if okay. listeners out there want to check them out, it's they out can there. be found. Okay. Yeah. Got it. We'll go through just a, a couple more here. Uh, that next one called The Scolding Wife, you've chosen that as kind of one to specifically promote like as the first single off of this yeah what uh i don't know i mean it's it's another great one but just out of curiosity what stood out to you as that being the foot that you wanted to step out with i guess i picked that as a single for two reasons kind of like bowback the first tune on this project it Mm -hmm. reminded me a fair bit of the aesthetic of the Earth Tones album from 2010. So I wanted people who were going to the trouble of checking out the single to be reminded of something they had heard yeah. before and hopefully liked before. But um, much more than Bowback, more like Backstep Cindy, I feel like that tune is a good example of my arrangement style sort of picking a new theme with each new pass through the tune and trying to build and build and build and then finally sort of bring it back home at the end. Whereas on Bowback, I stuck with uh, a more subtle approach to uh, rendering the melody. I did change it up as I went, but not in such ear-catching, melodic and rhythmic ways. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. And then the next one, another one that might catch bluegrass ears just a little bit more if you if you aren't quite used to hearing the more old-time music style that's your duet with ricky skaggs and it was great to hear your this is definitely the most like driving upbeat gourd banjo that's on the album you got the mandolin chop behind it pushing you along so yeah <laughs> another one if, if we have bluegrass aficionados listening to this and you need something to to catch your ear maybe that <laughs> one will reel you in a little bit more too if if some of these other ones that's right don't at first yeah yeah we wanted a very different tempo and overall feel for that tune obviously because ricky skaggs was involved i wanted it mm-hmm. to be distinctly different from the rest and it was a a dream to work on that with ricky and have him in the studio and on the project with me yeah, for sure. Um, so there's there are a few other tunes on the album that I absolutely encourage everyone to check out. They're all exquisite and all have their own things going. But before I bail on our track by track thing, is there any other like specific thing that you would want to make sure that you point listeners toward or that you're particularly proud of any certain aspect of? I might talk briefly, if you don't mind, about the very last track on the album, The Raven's Rock. This is another tune that came from my listening to Irish trad music. It is a contemporary composition by Killian Vallely, the piper with Lunasa 
maybe oh. my favorite band on the planet. Yeah, and I just fell in love with that tune the first time I heard it and thought, boy, that would make a great banjo tune. But it took me a while to decide that it would actually make a great gourd banjo tune. <laughs> and I was so pleased with how it came together on that instrument and so pleased with what Brittany, Jordan, and Paul did with their end of the collaboration that we turned the tracking of it into a little music video. My friend and publicist for the project, Tristan Scroggins, took some footage while we were tracking it that day and edited it into a wonderful thing that I put out on social media last week. And it's gotten a bunch of nice views and nice comments already. So if your listeners would like to see that tune in action, that very different tune with these very special musicians alongside mm -hmm. me, uh, check that out on Facebook or on my YouTube channel. Yeah, absolutely. And before before we forget, we definitely have to talk about your banjo itself. It's sure. a, a gorgeous looking instrument. The photo's on the front cover. If anyone wants to, you know, Google your album, they'll see a, a photo of it. Tell us how you came into that and who, who built it, if you know, and sure. just tell us about it. This instrument was made in 2003 by my friend Luthier David Hyatt from Arkansas, who built not all that many gourd banjos, but really had a special approach to the sound, the playability, and the appearance of this unique form of banjo. There are various other people making wonderful gourd banjos today, and there were some building them back in the early 2000s when David was doing a lot of his work, but I have not found a gourd banjo that is so satisfying on all of those fronts as this hmm. particular one. I think it's just beautiful to look at. It's so sculptural. It plays like a dream. All gourd banjos seem to me to be more challenging to play than steel-strung fretted instruments, but this one requires a whole lot less adjustment in both of my hands than any other gourd banjo I've ever okay. played. It's still a very different experience. And the sound is just wonderful. It's dark, as all gourd banjos are. It's warm, but it's surprisingly clear. And even though I said a lot of melodic approaches to the instrument don't suit the gourd banjo the way that they would a standard five-string instrument, I can get away with a more melodic approach on this one because of how yeah. everything articulates than any other gourd banjo I've played. And especially if things are maybe slowed down just a, a touch especially. to give you that extra space. Especially. Pro probably the most striking thing about it is that it actually has two banjo heads there's one, you know, where you would expect it that holds the bridge on. And then there's a a second one due to the shape of the gourd that's maybe up where like the neck would meet the the pot of a mm -hmm. of a typical banjo. Mm -hmm. What is your perception in terms of any effect that that might have? I wish I could say for sure, because obviously this is the only way I've heard this particular banjo and this particular gourd uh, set up. I'm not sure that David made any others using this style of gourd. It's like a mm. bottle gourd, what you sometimes see turned into birdhouses. 
yeah, with right. a, a larger chamber and then a smaller chamber connected by a little waist. I've seen some other makers using this gourd style in more recent years. And I think, I don't want to be too presumptuous here, but I think they might have been inspired to try it by having seen photos of this instrument and heard how well it performs on a variety of material. The other banjos from David Hyatt that I have seen are made from more standard pumpkin-like gourds with just a single head, a single sound chamber. And yet those two sounded and played very pleasingly. So I don't know how much would change if we locked the smaller sound (laughs) chamber off of this or if we replaced the whole affair with one slightly larger sound chamber. But it sure makes for a great look, I have to say. It, It sure does. Something else that's interesting about this gourd that I'm not sure is the case for any of David's other gourd banjos, is that it was grown between boards so that it couldn't get particularly deep or round either. It has a very flat back, and the whole affair is, let's see, three inches, three and a half inches deep at its deepest point. Yeah, it's very flat. Yeah. And that's a problem with a lot of gourd banjos. They're big and round and pumpkin-like, and they're sticking out way in front of me. It's hard for me to see what's (laughs) going on on the fingerboard. It's hard for me to hear what's coming off of the head. And they're kind of rolling around in my lap. Yeah, kind of clumsy. Yeah. Yeah. So physically, that's a real problem and a wonderful quality of this instrument. And I think it makes a big sonic difference, too. I think that shallowness, I think the flat back helps it project and helps it articulate very differently from a round gourd where things are just ricocheting off all the walls. Yeah, more like a resonator, right? More like a resonator, that's right. That's right. And yet, I don't feel like this is lacking for volume compared to other gourd banjos. They're all quieter than banjos with adjustable tension heads. But because this one is so clear sounding, you know, the notes can kind of pop out more than you'd expect. Yeah, very cool. Uh, Well, speaking of the the sound of it, I'm curious to know and and Maybe you know this, maybe you don't, depending on your involvement, but uh, mm-hmm. were there any particular studio approaches to capturing the real sound of this instrument? Because it definitely turned out, uh, I assume you think it's relatively accurate on the album. I haven't heard this in person, but it mm-hmm. it sure sounds like it. I do. That's certainly the approach that the engineer for Earth Tones 10 years ago followed. He had a very simple studio, but a couple very high quality microphones. And he wanted to capture as much of the voice of this instrument as we enjoyed hearing it in a small mm-hmm. space live as he could do. And the Earth Tones recording was my main engineer for Back to the Earth's primary reference. Dave Cinco did all of the mixing for the project in Nashville. And he had worked with this instrument a few years before in the context of a film score project that I was oh. a small part of. And he loved the way that it recorded. 
And I love the sounds that he pulled from it in that setting. So I just asked him to come as close to that and as close <laughs> to the original Earth Tones recording as he could. I didn't want studio effects. I didn't want crazy reverb beyond what's already present in the instrument. I just wanted a very natural, clear sound. I wish I were a mic geek. I can't say that I am at all, but I can say that he was very careful in choosing mics. I recorded a few tracks in a different studio with Charlie Pilzer at the controls, mm. and he referenced Dave Cinco's setup in Nashville. Dave sent photographs of the setup and some oh, technical cool. details that were Greek to me. <laughs> and I was really worried about getting the sounds to match up between the two studios. But I think both engineers did a great job. And then Dave's mixing took it the rest of the way yeah, to where I he, wanted. He can smooth it over if anything is left over. Yeah, for sure. Well, great. Well, I don't know if that I have any other specific questions for you. I guess one important thing would be to let everyone know where they can find you and how they can purchase this album and, and listen to all your music, not just this album, but you're relatively prolific. You have, <laughs> how many albums is this now? Uh, maybe this is number six. <laughs> I, I, I may be <laughs> prolific, but I don't exactly keep these facts at my immediate disposal. Six or I seven, I think. <laughs> six or seven. Cool. So yeah, if folks want to learn more about the new album, Back to the Earth, or any of my prior projects, a good clearinghouse for the music is my Bandcamp site, which I just established over this past summer, adamhurt.bandcamp.com. Check it out. I've got samples up of all of my previous projects, and they can be ordered there in physical and digital forms. If people are wanting to keep up with my teaching or my occasional performing, my adamhurt.com website is a good place to do that. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. I haven't set up like a page on Facebook, but uh -huh. if people there want to be quote unquote friends with me and I don't <laughs> respond quickly to a friend request, just send me a message and I'll be happy to add you. Excellent. Excellent. Cool. Well, uh, by the time this episode comes out, your album will be, will be out there. So there won't be any need to wait or mark your calendars for anything. It'll, it'll be there and it'll be available. So Thanks a lot for chatting with me about it and very enjoyable listen. Love the banjo and yeah, hope to see you in person again real soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Keith. I likewise hope our paths will cross before too long. Thanks a lot for listening, folks. All of the sound clips you heard are available on Adam Hurt's Back to the Earth album, except for the one clip called Pony Boy by Mark Simos. And thank you especially to Brian Bauer and Don Stevens, today's Patreon supporters of the show. Go to patreon.com slash banjopodcast to become a supporter yourself. Go to banjopodcast.com to check out that new theme music and banjo tablature and also new colors and styles of shirts to wear. You can always contact the show at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. And I've just told you way too many urls and addresses and dot coms and everything like that so i'll let you go for now i'm gonna head out of here and i'll be seeing you next time for the next episode cheers <laughs>